Welcome to the Salem Alliance Church Podcast. To learn more about Salem Alliance, including gathering times and other resources, visit us online at salemalliance.org. Today's talk is given by Rob Basham. Welcome to church and welcome to those of you joining us on live stream. One of the more thing we get to celebrate today is the fact that there are two roses on the stage. These roses are for Emery and Hadley, both two sisters that nailed ribbons into the cross last week and started a relationship with Jesus. Would you celebrate that? This week, I was sitting around the table with my family and my kids were like, oh, dad, this Sunday's Father's Day and like, hey, what do you want to do? And then all of a sudden, they started just kind of rating how I do as a parent and it was kind of weird. And I was like, really, what gives you the right to do this? And the area where they really had some questions for me were our dad jokes, dad jokes. They said, dad, you never tell dad jokes. And I said, I think that's a good thing, actually. I'm pretty sure that, are you critiquing me on that or are you congratulating me on the dad joke thing? said, no, you just, you rarely tell them. And so I think maybe I have a deficiency in that area. And so I've just been working on that all week. And if it's cool with you, here we go. Here we go. Happy Father's Day. Hey, what do you call a bundle of hay in a church? Christian Bale. Right? That's pretty good. No? Wow. All right. We could stop there, but we won't. We won't. A ship carrying red paint in a ship carrying blue paint collide in the middle of the ocean. Both crews were marooned. Okay. First of all, balcony, you're giving me nothing. Over here, that was pretty weak. Thank you to this crew right here, my friends. What's the difference between a well-dressed man on a unicycle and a poorly dressed man on a bicycle? Attire. All right, come on, right? Thank you. All right, all right, all right, all right, all right. One more, one more. Where do pirates get their hooks? Secondhand stores. All right. Thank you. A couple of people, a couple of people laughing. Some people are just like, "How's he going to come back from that?" I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Um, but I'll try. We are in our second week. We're walking through the book of Hosea. And last week, Brian got us started off. We're looking at God's relentless pursuit of his people, the Father's heart for his people. I love many of you I've seen carrying in our Bible study materials, and you've been going through this. And thank you for doing that. And our Bible study curriculum team wrote an incredible summary of kind of what this book is about. I want to share it with you here. Hosea gives us a picture of the messiness that God is willing to go through with his people Israel and with us. It departs from the picture of, being, of God being a stoic and removed judge, while God does tell us what to do and what not to do and what the consequences are, he is also compassionate and willing to be vulnerable. He is willing to chase us down, pay our sin debt, and bring us home to be his people. My hope is today that you catch a fresh glimpse of the heart of God, of his emotion and his vulnerability in his pursuit of us, in his relentless pursuit of you and me. And at the same time, I pray that we can see some undercurrents that led the people of Israel to go down the path of rebellion. I believe that there are some warnings here that we can take from these chapters. 
Today, we're looking at the middle chapters of Hosea, chapters 4 all the way through 11. The theologian and commentator Walter Brueggemann refers to these passages kind of as the prophetic lawsuits, these prophetic lawsuits, these oracles of just accusation, of specific accusation against the people of Israel for breaking their covenant with their creator, God. And over and over, he walks through these. This follows kind of the object lesson, the narrative story of Hosea and his wife, Gomer, that Brian unpacked for us last week, where we see the covenant that was broken. We see the breaking of relationship. And today, it moves more into the courtroom as we see these prophetic lawsuits. So what does that look like? Well, it starts right away in chapter 4. It's laid out kind of really perfectly. The prophetic lawsuits, chapter 4, verse 1, it says, Hear the word of the Lord, O people of Israel. The Lord has brought charges against you. And, and the indictments continue. The next, the next verse says this, There is no faithfulness, no kindness, no knowledge of God in your land. You make vows and you break them. You kill and steal and commit adultery. There is violence everywhere, one murder after another. It moves from, from the indictment to a consequence, and we see this pattern being laid out. The consequence, the sentence, that is why your land is in mourning, and everyone is wasting away. Even the wild animals, the birds of the sky, and the fish of the sea are disappearing. Over and over in chapters 4 to 11, we see these prophetic lawsuits coming to be. God is bringing a specific case against his people. In this section, we are reminded of the impact of sin, of its far-reaching effects. You see, so oftentimes, I believe in our individualistic culture, we just kind of look at sin and we're like, you know, my sin, that's my issue. It affects me. And it pretty much affects me alone. And in this section of Hosea, we see that is not the truth. You see, our sin affects our family. It affects our parents, our children, our cousins. It affects our community that we live in. Sin and rebellion affect our city, our nation. In fact, here in Hosea, we see that our rebellion even affects the land. God's creative land is affected because of our rebellion. And so we realize that the effects of sin and rebellion extend incredibly far. And we don't want to just jump past that. The weightiness of sin and rebellion are real. And Hosea is making that clear time after time in these prophetic lawsuits. But in these lawsuits, it's easy to get lost in just the consequences of sin. I believe there's more that we can take from these passages. And there's two questions that I want to look at today. The first is this. How did the people progress all the way to that rebellion? What are the warnings that we can take that led them down this path? And second, I want us to see the vulnerability and the emotion of God. It's pretty significant and real in these passages to see just his vulnerability and his beautiful pursuit of us. And so let's jump in and let's start with the first question. How did the people of Israel, the people of God, progress towards that rebellion? There's two things that jump out in these passages to me. The first is they lose the fear of the Lord. They lost the fear of the Lord. You see, their pride and their complacency began to set in and they forgot. They lost the testimony that in his miraculous and mighty way, he freed them from captivity in Egypt. 
they, they lost. They lost the reminders. And they began to build new political alliances for their own self-protection. And they signed the, the treaties that God did not ordain with Assyria and with Egypt. And God indicts them. Hosea 10.13, you have eaten the fruit of lies, trusting in your military might, believing that great armies could make your nation safe. They forgot the call to worship him and him alone, given to Moses in the covenant and the Ten Commandments. The indictment of Hosea 7.16, they look everywhere except to Most High. They brought in so many idols. They forgot that he was ruler of all creation, that he parted the seas, that he provided the manna and the quail, that he brought water from the rock. The indictment of Hosea 8, Israel, you have forgotten your maker. In the indictment, God is saying, you have forgotten what I have done. You have forgotten our history. You have forgotten our past together. In your wealth, in your pride, in your self-sufficiency, you have stopped telling the stories over and over, the stories that have been passed down from generation to generation of my power and my might and my care for you. And you have started to write over those stories, your own stories, of your own successes, of the palaces that you have built of the treaties that you have signed, and you have forgotten me. The loss of fear of the Lord leads to a reliance on self. It leads to alliances that are not ordained by God. In church, we do the same. I do the same. How quickly I forget the times that he provided my college tuition when finances were pretty scarce. Or I forget the times that he healed me when I'm walking through sickness. I forget the fact that anytime I need food, it's available to me, and I forget to recognize and thank him for it. When the winds and the waves start coming and the opposition and the suffering are face to face, I forget to tell the stories of his goodness. We do it all the time. Many of us put our faith in political alliances and governmental legislation to make things right. So church family, how do we rediscover the fear of the Lord? You hear me talk often about the importance of beholding who he is, and I believe that's the reminder we need. That's how we pick up and rediscover who he is and walk in a healthy fear of the Lord. I believe a good place to start is reading the stories of the Old Testament, the stories of how he freed his people, how he provided for them, and to behold who he is. I believe that it's important for us to reminisce together with friends around the dinner table, around the campfire, and speak of his goodness and testify who he is and what he's done in our lives. I believe it's important for us to see who he is, the mighty creator of heavens and earth, and to be in nature, to watch the waves of the Pacific crash to pick the strawberries and see the bountiful harvest that he has provided his people, to stop when we see the rainbow and just think about what it takes to put that promise together for us, his people. We can quickly be reminded that he is great and we are not, that he numbers our days, that he is the one who causes the sun to rise and set, that he is king of kings, Lord of lords, ruler of heaven and earth. The people of Israel, the people of God, forgot. And therefore, they stopped fearing their creator, God. 
The second thing that I see in this passage is that they neglect to cultivate the relationship with God. Time and time again, Hosea brings this charge. You see, here in these chapters, God is upset at the loss of true intimacy and relationship with his people. We see it over and over. Much of it revolves around the Hebrew word yada. It's a word that means knowledge or acknowledgement, but it doesn't mean to just know someone. You see, I know Steph Curry. I know who Steph Curry is. I know that he destroyed my beloved Boston Celtics this past week. I don't like Steph Curry right now, but I know who he is. I know that he shot 43% from behind the arc over in the series. I know who he's married to. I know who he looks like, what he looks like, but I don't know Steph Curry. And Steph Curry doesn't know me. And the knowing that, that Hosea is speaking of is this intimate, experiential knowledge to yada someone. It's how, it's how God describes his relationship with Abraham. It's what Moses prays that he will have with God. He prays that God will teach him to yada him. But over and over here, we see that the people of God had forgotten. They know God, but they don't yada him. God was no longer this living, relational one that they sought counsel from. He was no longer walking with them. He had been relegated to the shelf with the other idols, the non-speaking, non-living idols that they had added to the collection. And God brings the charges against them, one after another in these prophetic accusations. It starts in Hosea 4.1. The Lord has brought charges against you, saying there is no faithfulness, no kindness, no knowledge of God in your land. Hosea 4.6, my people are being destroyed because they don't know me. Since you priests refuse to know me, I refuse to recognize you as my priests. Hosea 5.4, your deeds won't let you return to your God. You are a prostitute through and through, and you do not know me. Hosea 6.3, oh, that we might yada the Lord, know him intimately. Let us press on to yada him. He will respond to us as surely as the arrival of dawn or the coming of rains in early spring. What were the people of God missing? What was the accusation brought by Hosea? There was no knowledge, no intimacy, no yada of God in the land. Church family, we cannot forget this. And so in honor of Father's Day and dad jokes, I have put together a saying that I assure you will keep you from forgetting this important truth. Without yada, you got nada. Huh? Huh? Turn to your neighbor and say it. Turn to your neighbor and say it. Without yada, you got nada. I promise you, you will not forget it. And I shamelessly put this up there on the screen. (laughs) Hosea keeps bringing this image to the forefront to bring conviction to his people. They had broken the relationship, the intimate relationship between creator God and his creation. This was at the heart of the lawsuit. And when we read it in history and we read what the people of Israel had done, how quickly they forgot. It's just, it's kind of sad. How quickly, how could you neglect to cultivate this relationship? How did complacency and lack and fear and apathy, how did they creep in so easily? And I know when I read the stories, I'm so judgmental against those people. And then I invite Holy Spirit and I realize I do the same. How quickly I forget. 
how quickly I forget to seek his advice, how quickly I don't go to him for counsel or permission or spend time in his presence. Church family, what does God want? He wants you to know him. And he wants to know you. He wants to know you and be known by you. Do you yada him? Do you know him intimately, experientially? Here's some questions that I'd love for you to consider this week as you just ask yourself this. Are you giving simple public acknowledgement to God? Are you just going through the motions? Or are you cultivating a personal knowing of Jesus? He's not down with just the motions. That's not what he wants. There's so much more. Are you walking through empty forms of religion or are you fostering an intimate action with him? And finally, in prayer, are you seeking his face or just his hands? Do you have goals and things you want to accomplish that you're asking his hands to carry out for you? And have you even asked him if those are his goals and his plans for your life, for your family's life? God doesn't want our rituals, our formalities. And nowhere in Hosea is it more clear than in Hosea 6, 6. Hosea speaks the words, I want you to show love, not offer sacrifices. I want you to know me more than I want burnt offerings. It's likely a familiar passage to many of you in the room because Jesus quotes it a few times in the New Testament. He quotes it to the Pharisees. The legalistic people that are offering just the motions, but are lacking the heart, that are lacking the true knowledge, the yada with their creator, God. And so when they come at him for not following the regulations of the Sabbath or for having dinner with a sinner, Jesus often turns here to Hosea 6.6 and says, I don't want your burnt offerings. I want you. I want you. Church family, he wants to know us and be known by us. He wants us to pursue him intimately, experientially, and we know very clearly of his relentless pursuit of us. And it's the fact that this is what he wants that shows us his emotion and his vulnerability. You see, Hosea is a fascinating book because we see the professionalism and the articulation of the courtroom as Jesus brings his case against his people. But then we suddenly also see this internal battle, this internal struggle of God the Father. Brian depicted it so well last week. We see the heart of God disciplining for restoration, holding back what is deserved, the pain of rebellion, rebellion affecting Father God, mercy triumphing over what is deserved. We see him crying out, O Israel, O Judah, what should I do with you? His relentless pursuit shows his vulnerability and his emotion. We don't like to talk about it. The fact that we can grieve God. When I was in fifth or sixth grade, I'll never forget this experience. I had been out for most of the day playing basketball with some friends, and I get home, and I go up to my parents' room, and I knock on their door to see if they're home, and my mom opens the door, and there on the, on the bed, I see my dad, and it seems like he's crying. And it was like the first time I could ever remember seeing my dad cry. My dad was a pretty tough guy's guy. He was a leader of people. He was a protector. He was the provider of the house. And so to see him grieving, seemingly upset, 
something rose up in me. And my mom quickly closed the door and came into the hallway. And I was like, what's going on? What, what's going on with dad? Like, what just happened? And I remember her gently trying to explain to me that actually dad took today off and thought he was going to be hanging out with you. But you are out all day hanging with your friends. And he just wanted time with you. So he's grieving that. broke me. So many realizations started to flood into me. Wait, that powerhouse of a man, I have the ability to bring grief to dad? Dad wants time with me? It was this moment that I'll never forget. In church family, can I just say, There's something about our Father God that is the same. We fear him. He's all powerful. And yet in his vulnerability, he wants to know you. He wants to walk with you. He wants to hang out. He wants to have experiences with you and know you intimately. The sovereign God wants relationship with us so badly that he's vulnerable and we can grieve him. We can hurt his heart. When we ignore it, when we place other things above it, it brings him grief. But only because of his great love for you, his great love for me. Don't miss it. Church Hosea offers us such an incredible glimpse into the heart of Father God, into this internal dialogue of the creator of the universe. This is what you deserve. This is how I want to respond. But this is my mercy. This is my love. This is my relentless pursuit of you, my children. Hosea chapter 11. For my people are determined to desert me. They call me the most high, but they don't truly honor me. Oh, how can I give you up, Israel? How can I let you go? How can I destroy you like Edma or demolish you like Zebulun? My heart is torn within me, and my compassion overflows. No, I will not unleash my fierce anger. I will not completely destroy Israel, for I am God and not a mere mortal. I am the Holy One living among you, and I will not come to destroy. For someday the people will follow me. I, the Lord, will roar like a lion. And when I roar, my people will return trembling from the west. Like flock of birds, they will come from Egypt. Trembling like doves, they will return from Assyria. And I will bring them home again, says the Lord. Church, he wants to know us, and he wants to be known by him. Don't think that because he's vulnerable, he's not fierce like a lion. Understand that he is. And even in his might and power, he wants relationship with you. Will you return that? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your relentless pursuit of us, of us in this room and of the prodigals in our lives. Hallowed be your name. We declare that you are the Lion of Judah, the King of Kings. And yet, in your vulnerability, in your care, in your deep love for us, in your pursuit of us, you cared so much that you sent your only son 
You sent your only son to die a sinner's death to restore relationship with us. That's how bad you want to yadas. So Lord, for some of us in this room, we've been going through the motions and we need to return to you. So hear our repented cries. We're sorry. We want back in. Will you have us? Of course you will. Lord, give us the strength to die you in new and fresh ways. Pour out your spirit. We declare that you are a good father and we long to be with you. Receive our worship today in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Salem Alliance podcast. We hope you have been challenged and inspired. Salem Alliance is a community of believers located in downtown Salem, Oregon, and we are passionate about our city being a city at peace with God. To experience other messages and discover more about who we are, please visit salemalliance.org or download the Salem Alliance app. And again, thanks for listening.